Welcome to episode 49 of Forging the Journey, where we discuss the joys and struggles of our entrepreneurial journey. Today, we have a new guest on with us. His name is Justin Courtney. He is one of the owners of Tolster Holsters out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to have you on here. Uh, we do have Jared, of course. I am over here. How you doing, buddy? I'm all right. It's another one of those weeks, man. Yeah, Just kicking I, it off high speed. High speed, low drag. Something like that. I feel like it's high speed, but you're like dragging your entire face across the pavement the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I always thought it was uh, high drag and low speed. Maybe I got that backwards. <laughs> oh, is that what it's supposed to be? I'll have to try that. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that. And that's, you know, I always, I always joke about it that, you know, we, because I think people fall into the, the belief that those of us who own businesses went to school for this and we just know all of this crazy behind the scenes info and we've got all the secret keys to unlocking the doors of you know, being an entrepreneur. And, and ultimately I find it funny when I explain to people, well, for me, I didn't go to school for this stuff and I literally face planted my way into this. <laughs> um, not that that's the best yep. method, but you know, it, it, I don't know. We're all at different places. It's, it's the entrepreneurial way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. okay if your face hurts a little bit. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, can't, I can't even really think of anybody that I know that has a business that like <laughs> set out to go to business school and create right. a bit. You know, I mean, obviously that's out there, but I like, there's nobody that I know really. And a lot of the people that I know that went to school trying to focus on business are executives in businesses right. or have some role in the business. But I, you're right. I, I was thinking of that the other day. It's very rare in my circle of friends who own businesses to see somebody that said, I, I want to do this for my business. So I'm going to go get this degree and I'm going to go do these things. And then boom, I'm going to start. So it's a, it's a unique, unique experience. So speaking yeah. of unique experiences, uh, I'm really excited to have Justin on. Uh, I've been good friends with Justin and his business partner, Richard, for, I mean, coming up on five years. I, I met you guys pretty quick upon my business venture. I think, in fact, I think you were the first one, well, you're one of the first ones that I sent a Neomag to and you're, and you're the first one at Tolster to, I remember you posting a video up in your office, you're doing a reload from the Neomag. Yep. So that was, um, I don't remember the date on that. I have to go back and look, but yeah, that was quite a while back. I remember, I remember seeing a Neomag and I'm like, wow, that, that fits a, a niche or whatever. And, um, I thought it was pretty cool. So, yeah, it, um, you know, one of my goals early on was to I'm like, Hey, this, this Neomag fits, fits <laughs> well with holster companies. Cause Holster companies sell mag carriers and I make a mag carrier. So maybe I can, I can, uh, I, I can get this out there. And honestly, it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made was sending it to you guys. Cause you guys, have, it's just been really, it's been a good, uh, it, it's going to been a good business decision and just, you know, friendship uh, with you guys. So, yeah. Yeah. There. It's one of those things, you know, we, we made mag carriers for, you know, the Glock 43 and the shield and some double stack blocks for a while. Um, that those were the only ones that we made. Uh, but even when, you know, even when we offered that, you know, embracing the Neomag to fit, you know, a certain type of person or, you know, 
situation or whatever, when you're not all kitted out, you just want to grab a spare mag. Um, instead of, instead of being threatened by that, you know, we kind of embraced it and, um, you know, I guess we requested to be become a dealer. I don't remember how that went all, all went down. I remember talking to you several times yeah. before, before we, you know, set stuff in motion, but yeah, I can't remember exactly how that, yeah, was, the, 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 yeah I can't remember exactly. That, how that it was, it was quite a while back. It was yeah. quite a while back though. Yeah. It, I mean, it was super early on. I think probably the one I sent you guys was like one of the gen one first, you know, first ones I made. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to get out of the way because I get, I get asked this all the time. The Neomag on Amazon sold by Tolster is legit. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that, yes, is the, that is the good one. It, it is legit. And we don't need to go into the details of why it's branded Tolster. Well, yes. actually we sold a branded one for, we, we sold yeah. one that was lasered Tolster for a while. Yeah. Um, and we ended up getting away from that and just handling the, you know, the distribution completely for you guys. So that's part of the reason. And Amazon doesn't make it easy to change any of that stuff or, you know, have a registered brand name without uh, some hoops to go through. So, yeah, there's a whole, and, um, and, and frankly, I see, I, I would love to, <laughs> I would love to do a whole episode, get you guys back on and just do an Amazon episode. Cause you guys really have a, a really good grasp of how that works and we're gonna we're gonna kind of get into that I've, I've, I have some questions here we're we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit but i do i'm just i'm, I'm marking that down jared i need you to write that down um i want to have them back and, and we'll talk amazon yeah so justin if you haven't picked up on i don't know if you followed our podcast at all i'm kind of the note taker <laughs> okay i just i no, fill note I, I fill I, notebooks with notes through these things that's awesome <laughs> yeah i i get that so um, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually realize Greg had a podcast until just, just, I say recently, it could have been a month or two ago, but it could, you know, feels like a day or so ago, but I, I didn't realize it, but, um, I kind of bury my head in the sand sometimes and I don't see what's going on. Um, well, well, don't feel bad. So, it's like this secret community we're growing that eventually it'll oh, blow up and it'll be like, yeah. Oh, everybody and follow under- forging the journey. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was gonna say, That's besides awesome. Tuesday mornings when we record, I forget that I have a podcast too. So it's yeah, don't feel bad. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that that goes back to being a business owner. Yeah, I've I, I've got my hands in too many areas that I don't know how to follow through with. So uh, as long as you don't miss birthdays and anniversaries, you're good to go. I think right, okay. and everything else you can make yeah. an excuse for. Exactly. So Justin, tell us. Yeah, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the wives don't 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 take to your excuses for missing anniversaries or birthdays very well. No, I speak from experience. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Justin, uh, tell Anyways. us uh, just just a little bit about about you. Uh, <clears throat> um, just me personally. Yeah, I was uh, born in Houston, Texas. Um. And when I was, I think, four years old, my parents moved up to Alaska. We, my, my dad bought a, you know, big old coach or bus and ripped all the seats out of it. And we headed on to Alaska where I was raised until I was 
I don't know, till I, I don't know how old I was. It was you know, 2003. So I was like 21, I guess. <clears throat> and then uh, I went to a small Bible school in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I went, where I met Sharon Hobbs, which is now my wife. And that's the relationship with my business partner, Richard Hobbs. So um, we have known each other since 2004, really, um, when I moved here to Tulsa to get to know her family a little bit better before I asked her to marry me. Okay. So that's, that's the real, that's the short history of, um, of me, but I was, you know, like I said, raised in Alaska, hunting and fishing and all of my immediate family is up there. Um, so we get to go up there and visit and have, you know, still experience that a little bit. Um, we were up there this last summer for my, one of my brother's weddings. The last brother to get married was married in Petersburg, Alaska this summer. So wow. that was kind of cool to go go back up there, actually to a place I'd never been in Alaska. So that's awesome. so but, Texas to Alaska. What that's a so it's quite a funny story. Um, if if I if I remember correct or I'm telling a story correct, my dad um, saw an old Billy Graham video about a. A couple that was having trouble in their marriage, and I guess the husband and the son um, went up and you know did a trip in Alaska. And I guess watching that video, he was inspired to to move up there, um, move our family up there. And I think within a year or so, we were we were up there. Now the details on that might be wrong because I was four. Yeah. But <laughs> if I've gathered the pieces correctly over the years, that's pretty much what happened. So um, kind of a a step of faith or whatever on my dad's part. Um, people thought he was crazy, but I couldn't imagine a better place to be raised. You know. Yeah, I mean, I would love. Yeah, I would talk love about to go to Alaska. Talk about probably the feeling of ultimate freedom in some aspects. You know, being up there. Yeah. When I think of Alaska, and I honestly, I've never been able to go there, so I may be totally off base, but I literally think of it as another frontier and an area that um, you could disappear. <laughs> literally in, in bad ways and good ways. Um, but experience a different kind of feeling than, you know, yeah, exactly. we're in the Northeast, it's pretty congested and lots of people. Yeah. And even uh, Oklahoma is pretty much the same way. I mean, I, you drive an hour and you're still, you know, you're still close by some town or another. I mean, you can't be more than, you know, 30, 20 minutes away from a town up, you know, in any one direction, it seems like, and up there you drive for an hour and you are an hour away from anybody, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it is a totally different ball game. And I'm sure some of the other Western, Northern Western <clears throat> States or whatever, similar in aspects, but when you take the size, <laughs> size of Alaska compared to the lower 48, it's like two thirds the size. So it's so massive. Um, <laughs> and there's very, few larger cities like I was raised in Chugiak which was about 20 minutes outside of Anchorage um, which is the largest town in Alaska so I didn't I wasn't raised out in the boonies but you know we did we um we were on a couple acres and we did lots of hunting and fishing we had the freedom to go out to um state parks and whatnot I mean when I say state parks I'm not talking you know mowed grass and and big old trees I'm talking wilderness so yeah. right but anyways uh, I know that's not what the podcast is about. So no, I, I, interesting stuff. Cause I, I mean, I was thinking, I was, I was, I was thinking of some of these questions. I'm like, I've known these guys for almost five years, and 
I, I don't know some of these some of these questions. So I'm looking forward and, to yep. just, So going you know, back going for, back to go ahead. I was gonna say for me, even <clears throat> though yes, you know, finding out the background of somebody isn't necessarily the core of what the podcast is about. I am seriously interested in everybody that we talk to finding out the background because I think from my experiences that kind of points people in the direction of where they're at currently. So it kind of paints the whole picture, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So it's all, no, I just didn't, all want, I didn't want to monopolize the, the podcast on <laughs> where I was raised in Alaska because I mean, every time I talk to somebody about it, you know, people start asking a, a, a million questions. So how many bears have you been attacked um, by? <laughs> zero, <laughs> zero, but I have walked up on one and then, you know, within 20 yards of it and scared the crap out of me. Uh, um, and I have been chased by a moose. <laughs> but other than that, other than that, I was. Uh, You're not I, talking I about Richard, right? No. So t- talk. Um, I'll I'll get into that. So I met my wife, um, 2003. Moved here in Tulsa to 2004. Well, Richard and I obviously became friends, um, and we worked at a a security company together for a while, where he was doing um, management or uh, not management, I guess he's manager of the dispatch department. And I worked um, under him for, I don't even know, maybe six months, if that. Uh, And then I got moved out to um, install, uh, to install alarms, cameras, access control and whatnot. And then I quickly got moved out to service. So we worked at the same company for a while. Um, I can't remember, maybe three, four years. Uh, He's worked, he worked there longer than I did. Um, both in the beginning and even after I had I moved on to another job, but we had we had uh, discussed running our own security company for quite a while, and we we ended up doing that in the end of 2008 is when we started um, our own. Actually, I say our own. His parents had a security guard company, and instead of opening a new company altogether we just opened up a division under that company doing you know so it just fit um to do that anyway so we ran that company until we sold off all the accounts um the last day of 2015 um and the reason we sold off those accounts was because of um the growing of tolster which i had started in 13 really i i mean i was learning kydex and probably sold a couple at the end of, you know, December of 12, maybe, but really didn't start it as a business or a hobby business, I should say, until August of 13. So as we were running the security company together from 2008 until 15, I would, in 13, I was running a side business. So I was working in the evenings um, and on the weekends after, you know, working full time, not just as a job, but as running another business, um, which I look back now and it just, it, it exhausts me to think about it because, you know, being a, a business owner, it's your, your mind is always, always going. It's not just a nine to five job where you clock in and you clock out and you forget about it. You've got a lot of stuff on your shoulders to make work. And so doing a hobby in another business on top of that already um, <laughs> was, was not easy, but I enjoyed it at the time, you know, it was just like, man, this is, this is fun. This is something different. 
Um, so Did you think that that Tolstra would turn into a, a full time thing? Was was that your plan? Was that your goal, or was it? Or, no, no, that's know. the thing. I that's one of the questions I get asked a lot. It's like, man, how did you how did you build this business from scratch? And like, to be honest with you, I had I I don't know that I ever had plans to build it into a large business or. It was just a hobby, something I enjoy doing, and um, it just grew naturally. And after a couple years of that, like I said, from August of 13 um, till really Black Friday of 14 is really when it started to explode and I started to get a little overwhelmed. Um, so it was about a year and a half, I guess, that I had ran it until, until it really clicked like, Hey, this this could be a completely separate business that can do so much better than what we're already doing. So I know back and forth, just jest and whatnot. I had joked around to Richard about like, man, what if we what if we sold the business, um, the security company, and we just did toaster, you know, toaster full time, and um, you know, eventually, sometime in fifteen, the summer of fifteen, that decision was made, um, and. You know, I, like I said, we had been working together for, at that point, from 2008 to 2015. So we had worked really well together um, as partners. And so it was kind of a natural fit once we saw the the growth of Tolster, you know, just to move into that and sell off the other accounts. It was a, a, a better business opportunity for us. I do remember that. And, so I, I remember... Remember, I was like, I was talking with you guys. I was friends with you guys when you guys sold off the security uh, uh, business and went full time with Tolster. I, I just remember how exciting that that was for you guys. That was awesome. Yeah, it was a it was a big deal. You know, um, when we made a decision in fifteen to sell off those accounts, it was it was kind of like a almost a reality check or whatever that. It, I mean, the weight was on my shoulders to, by the time we sold, it needed, Tolster needed to be able to bring in enough to support three families. And at the time it wasn't, it was growing, but it wasn't there yet. And so over the next, you know, say six months until we sold, um, we had hired a couple of people, really started ramping up on, um, I guess, advertising and social media, at least social media. I don't know how much on advertising at that point um, to grow it. And you know, it was, it was pretty awesome to see, you know, November, December, that um, everything was working as planned and whatnot, but it was definitely a leap of faith um, to make that, to make that transition. And I had no doubts that once we pushed, it would get there. It was just whether we would get it there in time or not. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's always a balance as you're, you're navigating this and I can totally, I mean, Greg and I can totally relate to that, trying to work numbers and figure out, okay, when can this happen? Is this viable? All of these questions on top of the regular stresses that come with just operating the business. And, you know, Greg and I can both totally relate to the whole balancing full-time work with, you know, doing a side hustle essentially with a business and, and trying to remember to breathe oxygen in between all of that. Um, exactly. But so, so tell, so I don't, I mean, I have a little bit of a unique seat over here. I mean, Greg knows you, but I don't know a whole lot about Tolster. Um, I, I was on the website this morning browsing around 
Um, so why don't, and Greg, if you want to go a different direction, but I'd love to hear just a rundown of what is Tolster um, so that people know, okay. you know, who are we talking to and, and what do you guys actually do? So we are a manufacturer of, um, you know, inside the waistband holsters currently and some mag carriers. Um, that is pretty much all we do except for we do offer some other retail gear like the Neo mag on the Aries gear belt, um, different things that complement what we're already doing. You know, we, we sell some holsters that um, are weapons or weapon light combos. So we sell some of those weapon lights as well. So we're pretty um, picky on what we offer right now. Just uh, everything that we do offer complements what we're already doing. And we have to be really careful on, how much we offer just due to inventory space and stuff because our what we do now is everything is in stock so if you order it ships same or next day depending on the time of day that you order um i say same or next business day if you order on saturday it is not going out on sunday because <laughs> <laughs> the mail doesn't run and um anyways so that's kind of our our goal when when i started in 13, I was making OWBs, um, but really trying to perfect the um, profile holster, which is our um, inside the waistband holster design, specifically at the time for a Penix carry. Um, and I, how that started, I get, I'll backtrack a little bit on how I got started in holster. Is in 2012, um, I started going to US Shooting Academy and started training up there. And, um, I ended up buying a gun. It was a Springfield Armory 1911 EMP or nine mil 1911. Cause I thought that's what I needed. Um, and it came with a Kydex poster. And when I bought it, the guy told me, he said, yeah, some guy in Oklahoma city makes these. And I was looking at this and like, man, there's some changes on that. I, this is something I can do. I've always been interested in doing stuff with my hands or building things or whatever. Um, so I started gathering information and trying to learn everything I could about it and was out to make a inside the waistband holster that was minimal, minimalistic without the drawbacks. Um, so there's a lot of like tr trigger guard holsters out there, um, like the Vanguard 2 and whatnot. But some of the, the downfalls of those is you cannot use those in a training environment um, most of the time because you've got to you know take them off the belt. Uh, to reholster, there's just some inherent training issues with, with that. So I wanted to mimic what those offered in a minimalistic design, but in a, you know, training friendly environment. And that's kind of how the profile holster was built. I went through several, several different revisions. Um, and of course the industry has completely changed since then. But at the time um, there wasn't, much out there like that with uh, kydex holsters if there were they were using two uh, points of attachment uh, below the trigger guard which you know had more material down there than than what was needed which would dig into your thigh or whatever so i was trying to trim as much as possible down so along with the Pobot holster i was doing owb holsters um as well but like i said in you know, Black Friday of 14, I kind of got overwhelmed. And sometimes shortly in 15, I cut ODBBs altogether. They weren't, um, I sold a bunch of them, 
uh, but they took me about three times longer to make and I didn't sell them for three times the price. So it just made sense for me to stick with what um, I was doing best and what, you know, Tolster was being known, you know, getting known for. Um, yeah, along that's... those lines, you know, we, we made very few carriers. We made carriers for the 43, the Shield, because those were our two flagship profiles or models, you know, those were your compact nine mils is what we were selling a lot of, but we also made them for the double stack um, blocks as well. And we only made three carriers and very few products. Like I, you know, even right now we only offer, I think like 32 or 33 different holster, holster light or um, gun light models. So if you go to the website, we might have, I think it's 33 holster models and that could be um, a 43 and then one for the 43 with the TLR six, that would be two different models. So we offer a very slim um, product line, if that makes any sense um, of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that I think of all the time with, with holsters is you just feel like there's so many different companies out there making holsters. Uh, how does that feel or how did that feel navigating as you're starting this business? Because you know, what I, what we create with steel targets, there's a million companies doing steel targets and that does present some things to overcome, but I'd love to hear your input on that because it seems like any of the legit holster companies that I'm friends with or that I know of personally, they're doing pretty well. So can you kind of mm -hmm. walk us through that experience a little bit? Well, I, I won't take credit for, I won't take credit uh, for the success of Tulsar um, completely. I think a lot of it had to do with timing um, in the industry. When, when I got started, the, the Kydex industry was really young. Um, and I got in and was able to start building a brand earlier on. Like there were, obviously there were Kydex companies out there like Raven and, and just different ones. I can't even name them all, but not as saturated as it is now. And I've talked to quite a few newer holster companies that, you know, end up you know, going belly up or selling their stuff because they just can't make it. And I really believe that a lot of it has to do with um, timing in the market and how early we were able to start building a brand in this industry. Um, I do think a lot of, a lot. go ahead. So I do feel like, I feel like 2015 for some reason, was the year because me and Jerry got started in 2015. It seems like a lot mm -hmm. of, it seems like a lot of businesses that I talked to <clears throat> that 2015 is kind of when, when all these businesses, it, it, you know, maybe they didn't start in 2015, but 2015 is kind of when things exploding. Yeah. 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 So then I, is there, is there anything you can, so, I mean, that helps paint the picture for me a little bit because I, I was thinking of along the timeline that Greg was, and I just remember seeing tons of new holsters in the 2016 timeframe. But if you started in 2013, yeah, you had three, three years of building your brand potentially before yeah. um, saturation happened. Um, did you, do you notice now with tons of other companies in existence, 
is that creating challenges now or do you guys feel like you have a pretty good set of traits that differentiate yourself between other companies i i think we do um i do think the uh the industry has changed a lot with tooling and available hardware and stuff like that so it's it's made it a lot easier for somebody to get into the holster game that may, um, you know, they, they haven't put in the, the time or effort to, to learn why, why a holster is a good holster or not, um, or, you know, how to mock up a gun and, and design something about it. I mean, they can get like off the shelf uh, molds or they can even get shells that are already manufactured so all they got to do is bolt them together buff them and send them out the door um so and those products can look and possibly depending on you know the the, the maker can be just as good as uh, an older holster company that's been in the game for a while that's you know been methodical on how they uh, make something or design it or whatever so in that light yeah it's been uh the last couple of years has probably been um let me just say I'm I'm paying attention uh, because I think uh, although we have a brand and um, we are growing, I can see the growth not growing as rapidly as it was early on, and that may that may just be um, normal as a business grows, but I think it can have a lot to do with. Uh, the availability of products for um, a lot cheaper price or whatever, um, you know, so there's, there's always the competition factor, um, but you know, we, I think there's a lot we to play into it. So so if, that? I think there's a lot to complain into it. I mean, if you look at the political um, the landscape of 2015 yep. versus, versus now, exactly, and just, um, exactly. you know, saturation of just, you know where you're advertising and stuff. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot to consider when you you know you know when you start looking at that stuff. Yeah, the deal is, I mean, you're exactly right. The political climate now is way different than it was then, and you know, people were were afraid that you know gun right. I mean, gun rights are under attack, but they were afraid a lot more <laughs> prior yeah. to 16 than people they are be more now. Afraid now and but... <laughs> Yeah, I know, but it is what it is. It's all perception. And so um so that is a very real deal, but I don't I don't want to not I mean I don't want to ignore the fact that there is competition out there that, you know, are they they appear to be putting out a good product. Um and and there's a bunch of them out there, but I know I, I know a bunch of them that have started and in a year or two you know, they, they may be selling their products for too low of a price to be able to make the profit that yeah. they need to continue business. And um, then they wonder why, you know, they, they're just not getting enough sales um, because they haven't taken the time or done the things they need to do to build a brand versus just a product. Um, and, and that's something that I so, noticed and, and pretty early on. Um, you, in the steel target realm, there's a lot of companies that pop up and you see them start off and then whatever you see them selling $120 target systems. And then three years later, they're just belly up. 
um, and they're yep. no longer in business. And that that's a lot harder to navigate than what people think because a lot of industries have at least a little bit of the the percentage of the companies in the realm of the industry are chasing dollars down to the bottom. You know, they're, they're just racing to the oh, bottom yeah. is, is what I call it. Um, so can you speak on your mindset around that? Like, I'm not asking you guys to divulge any kind of information or, or whatever, but just where's your mind at with Tolster as far as how you're structuring? All well, of that? um, early on, uh, my holsters were priced, you know, very similar to the high end competition or like Raven concealment or different ones. Um, and the reason I priced it was a, a couple different reasons. Uh, first off, people have a perception, um, a higher dollar amount yields a better product. And a lot of times that is the case because of the companies that are pushing it out. It's not always the case, but it generally, it, it's a good indicator that the company is doing a good job and it's going to be there for a long time. Um, and for the other reason was, if the market bears a certain price, why would you try to cannibalize it by just going lower? Because for one, you're not going to be able to grow your business as right. quickly. Um, and costs are never what they, what you think they are. You can look at something and say, well, I can buy the materials for five bucks and, um, I can sell them for 60 or I could sell it for 30. And, you can look at it and just say, well, I can easily make 25 bucks. It's well worth it for me to do it this way. But the costs are never just the $5 material costs. You have the cost of growth, um, the cost of scaling the business and production and human resources and everything. So if you price yourself too low on any product, you just won't be able to scale or not be able to scale as quickly as you could if you were um, you know, a higher profit margin. And it's not, you know, I, I know a lot of people have this misconception about, you know, evil, greedy corporations or whatever, and they're just after, after everybody's money. Um, but my thought is you're, if you sell things for too cheap, you're, you're doing yourself a disfavor and you're doing the customers a disfavor because you're not going to be able to keep up with the customer service demands or keep up with product innovation or quality um, and scaling or quality. Exactly. Right. I mean, you, um, you, you, whenever you're building something, if you're sacrificing initial cost up front, and this isn't saying that you shouldn't innovate or create systems that make the process more efficient, but you know, we could, you could buy junk steel for the targets and sell a cheaper product, but then you're sacrificing yeah. something to reach that bottom dollar. And I think that's consistent yeah. no matter what you're building. Well, you know, my, um, we don't get these questions hardly at all anymore, but I would say 15, 16. Um, I know when Richard started answering more messages and whatnot, he's got, he got a bunch of these type of questions like, why, why is a, you know, holster A, you know, cheaper than yours or you're virtually the same? And my response has always been, there's always somebody willing to do it cheaper. Always. Whether or not they're offering a, you know, as quality of a product, they might be, um, but there's a good chance that they're not, uh, depending on the hardware. Like we use all stainless steel hardware and it's a lot more expensive than just 
you know, um, coated steel hardware. It's a lot more expensive, but we've been doing that for pretty much since the beginning. Um, so there's little costs like that that we take in that most companies are not doing, but it, it doesn't matter. Even if you have the exact same product, the same hardware, the same tooling and everything, there's always somebody else to do it, you know, willing to do it cheaper. And at some point you're going to have to, you know, draw a line in the sand and be like, I'm not crossing over this. And if I'm getting sales at 50 bucks, why would I lower it to 40 bucks? Um, just to compete with, you know, Holster X company or whatever. Um, I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, except for the fact that on pricing and, and growth and scaling, it's like you can't keep second guessing yourself. Now, I do believe that with more and more and more competition, it is something that you have to take a look at. Um, yeah, we, it, it just, we were just talking it, about that a, like a week or two on, on the podcast. We were just talking about how, how important it is to price something um, uh, correctly, especially the, your first product. Um, and, and just how much goes into finding out that price. It's not just, here's my materials. Here's a markup. Here's what I sell it for. You know, you have to look at the market. You have to look at your competition, look at, um, you, you know, look at your plans for the future. Look at, are you going to go through distribution? Are you, you know, there's, there's so much to think about when you come up with a price that, uh, that most people, you know, probably don't even, even really know or understand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there. <laughs> And there's lots of variable. I mean, you could sell, you know, a thousand of one or a hundred of one and make the same amount of money just depending on how they're priced. So you really need to find a balance of what you're willing to do, how, how you want to go. Like one of our, one of our goals with Tolster from, from the get go is keep our crew as lean as possible so we could pay them really well and offer benefits and stuff like that. Um, and sure, we could sell our holsters half price and still make money, but we're going to have to work twice as hard. Right. Um, or really what that turns into is we need to hire double the amount of people that we have right now um, and make only, you know, a, a, a percentage more in profit. And so when you take that into consideration, it's like, well, okay, well, there's more people to manage. There's more stuff to go wrong. There's more machinery to buy all of this kind of stuff to get to keep up with the demand. But you're, if you sell double, you're not making double the profit. And so there's a, there's a balance there of, you know, finding what you're, what you're willing to do um, and how you want your business to grow. And like I said, you know, our goal is to keep a lean crew as much as possible. So we're not out to, um, to compete with uncle Mike's, you know, um, yeah and selling tens and tens of thousands. Of course, with that being said, we have improved our processes so much that we are able to push out a lot of gear with just four production guys. So we're pushing out, I think, 5,000 pieces of gear a month right now um, with four with four guys. But well, it, that that's has what I was gonna been... Ask. Go that's a good segue because that's uh, I wanted you to uh, uh, talk about kind of your because <clears throat> you guys just built you guys just built and moved into a, a new building and uh, which was which is like one of my goals so it was just it was exciting to see you guys do that um, so talk a little bit about your your physical setup of your business your 
you're building your employees. Uh, it, you know, one of the things that, uh, that me and Justin have in common is CNC. Uh, so, so kind of talk about all that stuff. Give us a picture of that. Well, um, talking about backstory, like I was running Tolster in my garage from 13 until May of 15 when I sold that house and I had to move my shop somewhere out of my garage. And since we were running a security company, we had it in an empty garage bay um, at our office facility um, in Jinx, Oklahoma, that, you know, I, I talked to Richard like, hey, can I temporarily move this stuff in here and, you know, work after hours or whatever. So we, you know, we, I did that and almost immediately hired a guy because um, it wasn't at my house and, you know, the business was growing. So we were essentially working out of a single bay at a shop, um, which quickly started to change once we <laughs> made the decision to sell the business. And we were moving our offices around. We put our molding in where Richard and I, sales office was. We moved all the cubicles out of there and started molding in there. Um, and anyways, we, until October of last year, 2018, uh, we were in a total of 2,300 square foot in this, building that was not suited for what we were doing. We had segregated little offices. So we had a shipping office and then we had molding and Richard and I were crammed in an itty bitty office. And then the, you know, sanding buffing was in another area that was a storage room. Anyways, it was, it was kind of a nightmare. It worked. Um, it wasn't terrible, but you know, we had to go to two or three doors to get from one place to the other. It was just, it was just not cool. Um, and we had been looking and on the search for a new place for quite a while. And finally last year, sometime, I think around May or June, um, we settled with a guy that was in up, he was building a place, um, not too far from where we were already at. He was willing to do the build out for us, um, in the, in the cost of, you know, or in conjunction with a, like a three-year lease or whatever. So we don't actually own our building. We're leasing. Um, but he built out to our specifications um, 6,000 square feet plus another five or 600 um, of offices upstairs. So everything right now is pretty open. Uh, we have three kind of sections, um, but it's all open to one another. So we have like R&D in one section, which also includes like our kitchen and um, break room um, and hardware. That's one area. When I say hardware, that's where we uh, assemble the holsters. Another section is where they mold, mill, um, buff, and clean the holsters. And then another section is where we um, have our inventory and we ship out of. But it's a really open facility. And anybody that wants to kind of check it out, we we've actually put a time lapse, time lapse video that would give you a really good um, uh, view of what we're doing in our shop and whatnot. And you might find it interesting. So you could just go to YouTube and uh, search Tolster and it's one of our latest videos there. And I don't know if you're able to do links to the show. I can get you that link uh, to throw in the show notes if you want. <clears throat> yeah, so, but, what was that, so what was that experience? What was that like building a, biz, uh, a new building? Just yeah, it was it was exciting but a little bit stressful because you don't 
No, sometimes you don't know exactly what you need or the workflow that you want to do um, when you haven't had it yet. So where we were coming from, it was so segregated. Um, we didn't really have something to compare it to. So I spent, I don't know how much time drawing everything up in CAD. I drew the floor plan up and the machines and tables and racks and everything. I had it all done up in 3D CAD and moved around to several different designs and whatnot for, for quite a while before we settled on something that we thought would work. And come to find out, it's worked really, really well. And I can't think of a whole lot of changes that we would even make now. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a little stressful project, um, process. But a lot of that is my personality. I, um, I am easily overwhelmed with tasks that, uh, that take a lot of um, either paperwork skills or sit down at the computer skills. I mean, even though I do a lot of that, Sometimes I can get overwhelmed with larger projects. So um, it was stressful, but it, it ended up going fairly smooth. It took a lot longer to build out than what we were expecting, but it all worked out. And uh, we love our place right now. We, it's, it's so awesome. And we don't, have, we don't really have a need to grow uh, as far as space goes right now. Uh, we still have plenty of room. Uh, we can expand quite a bit in even what, what we're doing uh, as far as production goes. And um, inventory is a little limited, but we can always go up. we got tall ceilings, so we can always go up with sword racks and push right. around ladders and whatnot. Well, we're, we're getting close to an hour here. Um, I've, man, there's so much that I want that, like, I, I've got through a quarter of the questions I had written down. There's so much I would love <laughs> I to know. get in with. It goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. And there's so much. I, I, I was telling Jerry before, um, before I got on that, that there's, that there's so much more that you guys have experienced that I would love to tap into on future, uh, episodes. So it'd be awesome if you could come back sometime and, and, uh, and chime in absolutely things but i I kind of two uh two questions i kind of want to finish up with so one is you had said before about how um you know holsters was just a hobby it was something that you didn't really even Mm -hmm. think would turn into uh would turn into a full-time thing um you know one thing that uh, that i hear from people which just seems like a cheap excuse but um but, but I hear it so often is, you know, people say, you know, I, I would afraid that I'd be afraid to turn my hobby into a job and, and, and ruin my hobby. Um, what's your response to something like that? If, you know, it, if somebody's trying to, you know, if they have a hobby and they're thinking about, Hey, maybe this could turn into something, but I would hate to ruin this. What's your response to somebody when they say, when they say something like that? I would say if that is their response, they're not ready. Um, that's off the cuff answer. I, I think somebody that's an entrepreneur doesn't really care about the obstacles. They just push forward and they, you know, they, they just do. Um, and my, you know, Tolster was just a hobby for me, but it wasn't like I was scared to, um, that it was going to, ruin anything else um even though at the beginning i didn't have a goal for it to be a a larger company um i just you you just do you know you you just work on it and you grow it and i think that's part of the excitement as part of the um 
the reward is growing something and, and just seeing where it leads and takes you. Um, but I, I'm sure you, you get asked all the time, just like I do. It's like, man, I just, I don't have any thoughts, you know, do you have any ideas of like what I could start up or whatever, you know, I get questions like that from people. And um, my answer is always just find something you're passionate about and, you know, think of a solution to a problem that somebody's not doing or that you think you could do better and, um, you know, take it from there. But to be honest with you, starting a business is not for everyone. Um, And I, some people may take that response as being arrogant or whatever, but, but it's, it's absolutely true that not everyone is um, cut out to start a hobby into a business or whatever. It's not that they're not capable of it. It's just that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it comes down to personality. Um, You just have to be willing to, you know, crush it and grind and have all the blood, sweat and tears behind something without it doing anything for a while. Um, you have to be able to do that. And, you know, it's, yeah. and I think it said, if, if there's a reason, go ahead. I think, I think you said something earlier that, that, that just kind of hammers at home is that you said, you know, your, your mind's always going, there is no, Oh yeah. There's no time off. You are thinking, something work related, you know, something for the business, some, it, you really do live and breathe this momentum. Like you're constantly looking for this momentum and keep it going. And, and, you know, what can I do to, to tweak this and make this better? Or, you know, you know, should I, should I enter into this whole new side of things? It's just, there's always something going on there. And if, and frankly, I think that's just kind of the mindset that, that you almost have to have as an entrepreneur. It, it, it can't just be a side hobby thing. It, you know, so I think you said that yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I know, um, was it Jared? I got your, your mm-hmm. name. Is it Jared? Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, you said something about your, your friends, your business friends, um, or you've got a lot of them or, or whatever, but my, all of my friends, to be honest with you, that I can think of right off the top of my head, um, my close friends are all business owners. Um, and it's kind of like, like minds kind of flock together, you know, and we, anytime we get together, we're always talking about business or, or advertising or something, you know, it's just, it's who we are. And that's not everybody. You just, you, and I've been this way since I was, you know, uh, for a long time, my mind was constantly going about, Hey, I could do this. Or my, my wife used to make fun of me all the time. She would just laugh when I say, Oh, I could make that. Or I could do this, you know, cause it was, it's, it's always something that, you know, we're uh, my personality or my friend's personality that or business owners, you're just constantly looking at things in a different way. Or, um, and like you said, your, your mind is constantly going, there's no, there's no rest really but it's who we are and we enjoy it and we love it yeah and that's one of the i want to give greg i think you probably have what one more question you wanted Mm -hmm. to throw at him well one thing that i wanted to say is uh, before we do that is just going back to what you said justin about personalities a lot of people self-sabotage their dreams of of owning a business and honestly i was very similar to those people years ago where it 
it's one thing to come up with an idea. And I think a lot of people come up with some really great ideas, but they miss one thing and that's just to start. And yep. that is such a key characteristic of an entrepreneur. Um, and even above personality, like put aside the personality and just if for people listening, if the one thing is that's holding you back, whatever that one thing is, if you just start, you're already a million steps ahead of people that self-sabotage their own ideas and dreams literally every single day. Um, so yep. that's just something I've learned on this journey. But anyway, Greg, what, what was your other question you wanted to throw out? All right, so my last question, and this is, um, again, this probably could almost merit its whole, its own, its own episode. But um, it, you had mentioned about how you, uh, you had kind of school in Cincinnati and the Bible school and stuff. And I know that you guys have a great faith. That's one of the things that we have in common. Um, it, it, that's, that's something that's, just over the years has kind of drawn us together. How does your and Richard's faith play into your business and, and how you run your business? Well, I would say to start off, that's probably the, the number one reason why we're still in business together is because of our faith. You know, um, we have an undying trust for one another and what we're doing. Um, we are like Richard is a 50, 50, um, owner with me. Um, even though I started this, I didn't want to bring him on as um, feeling inferior or um, I wanted him to be as bought into it as I was. And we were, you know, we ran a other business 50-50 as well from what we were doing. So it was only the right thing to do. But, you know, just having that level of trust because we, you know, you know, believe in, you know, we, we have the same, um, values, um, and character as far as, you know, being honest and trustworthy and stuff. I mean, that's probably the number one thing, but we absolutely give God the credit. Um, every chance that we get, as far as the success goes, we meet every single morning and pray before the day starts and, you know, ask for direction and, um, always, thanking him and giving him thanks for, you know, the, the blessings and showing us ways that we can, you know, bless others through the success of the business. So I don't know if that answers the question, no, but absolutely. That's awesome. Um, I love it. You know, I think, I think it's Dave Ramsey says the only ship that doesn't float is a partnership. And I would <laughs> say that's probably 95% true. Um, for, and I was going to ask you, know, you about that dynamic. I was going to ask you about the dynamic of a partnership because it does create um, so many different challenges because you're, you're basically, and Greg and I have talked about this. You're basically marrying it's whoever. Close, it's as close to a, to a marriage as it gets. Without so the, it, it's, it's hilarious. You say that because Richard and I say that all the time. I mean, and people may think that's stupid or whatever until they're, they're, they're in it. There's a level of trust and um, whatnot that is just like a marriage. I mean, it really is. And, if you don't have the right person as a partnership, things go can go awry. I know when Richard and I ran that security company, we were in businesses all the time installing alarms. And I cannot tell you how many times I heard horror stories about partnerships and how they were kind of bragging on us. Like, man, you guys really work together smooth and everything. And we would always leave those jobs and be like, wow, we do have, we do have something special, you know, because, you know, it's, it's hard to run a business. Uh, but I would say it's easier when you have somebody else 
that can pick up the slack where you're not so good at. Like we complement each other so well on my strengths and his strengths and my weaknesses and his, you know, that we just go in and do what we need to do. And there's no, um, somebody recently asked me about the delegation of our roles. And to be honest with you, it's not, it's not like we really have anything written down. It's just, we are fluid in what we do well. And we, we help each other out where we can. And, um, you know, we, we just take on, take on projects or, or things to do that fit our skill sets. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as scripture talks about, but in marriage being equally yoked, which, mm-hmm. which, which that's talking about like in your core beliefs being, being equally yoked. And, I, and, and of course that's, that's so important in marriage, but, um, but, 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 but with your guys, uh, example, that's, that's also just as important in a business relationship. I, I couldn't imagine having a business partner that just has a completely different core belief of just how to handle life and how to handle exactly customers and yeah. you know and what to do with money and all that stuff you know it i mean that stuff and, is, and how to advertise <laughs> and even how to advertise i know yeah. early on you know it wasn't hard for us to cut one of our affiliates that started um you know posting our gear with you know uh, half naked women and whatnot. And I know a lot of people that are listening or probably don't really care about that, but that goes against our values. So it was easy for us to say, you yep, know, we're going to, we're going to drop them. I mean, we're going to tell them, Hey, um, you're no longer a part of the affiliate program. If this is going to continue to happen. And those kind of decisions are a lot easier to make, uh, when you're on the same page, it would not be so easy to make. Um, if that, you know, in this situation, that affiliate was actually getting us I mean, what they were posting, the content they were posting was doing really well for us. So it was a values decision, not a dollar. And I mean, we had to sacrifice sales to drop this guy, but it just went uh, went against what we want to represent our product and our company as. And um, that would not have been an easy decision had we had different views on that. So yeah, Yeah, that's great. And that goes back to being... So important for people to think about. It's just like you don't find, I guess some people do, but it's, it's like if you're a single guy and you don't just find a woman and then get married and make that decision in three days, you know what I mean? You make yeah. sure you're 100% committed for life. When you're committing to that partnership, you know, you're, you're committing through the highs and lows of that company and then pulling equal weight um, in all things. And yep. if you have the, like you said, if you have the right, the right partners, that's going to actually help kind of a trampoline effect. It's going to push you forward faster, especially with what you and, and uh, Richard have with 50, 50 owners. You're both willing to sacrifice in the times that are low. You're both willing to do your own work and, and push in the areas that you thrive. Um, you know, that, that can make essentially a, a, a very powerful motor to propel a business forward. But, I think, I mean, I know people personally who did not put enough weight in the fact of being in, in a partnership, um, you know, and, and it can end really badly. So it's just a matter of making sure that the morals are aligned right um, and that everybody's pointing in the right direction. Yeah. And I think being open and transparent too, to even, um, you know, potential issues or misunderstandings. I know there's, there's been a handful of times that, Richard and I 
may assume uh, something. Um, but one thing that we have is we call it a, actually a transparency meeting, um, even with our wives involved that we sit down and just make sure that everything is good to go. And if there was anything that was, you know, said or, or misunderstood or whatever that we bring up and we discuss and um, we move on because, and we, you know, we realized that a while back that that is kind of needed because, you know, sometimes um, in business something is done or something is said um, and it's taken differently than what it was meant. And so just having that open line of communication and transparency is a big deal. Um, so that is something else that we do. But again, that goes back to, you know, values and, um, you know, thinking about things kind of the same way. And I know Richard wasn't able to be here on the podcast, but um, you guys could uh, go check Richard out if you want. He's on social media. He's at Richard E. Hobbs um on instagram so you guys can go follow him we we each have our own personal accounts that we post stuff on and um you guys can see some of the behind the scenes stuff that um what we do at tolster or just you know if you're interested in um seeing who we are as people awesome what um on that note why don't you tell people where to uh, find you guys at in your business um okay so the business on Instagram is just at Tolster, T-U-L-S-T-E-R. Um, our web address is Tolster.com. Uh, Facebook, I think it's Facebook forward slash Tolster Holsters. Um, and we're on Twitter and whatnot. If you go to our webpage, I think all the links are there. Um, my, my personal Instagram is Justin K. Courtney, that's C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y. Um, and I'm sure Greg can post the links on here if you guys, you know, um, yeah, sure just want to see who we are about and whatnot. And I, I post some more behind the scenes stuff, with Tolster and so does Richard. Um, so we, we don't share everything on the Tolster Instagram. A lot of, uh, the Tolster Instagram pages, you know, products or ads and whatnot. And, <clears throat> you know, that may change. We have talked about doing some more behind the scenes stuff on there, but we've kind of left it, uh, for the last couple of years, we've left it up to more professional style photos and that may not be the right thing to do, but that's what we chose to do back then. Cause you know, early on Tolster was littered with all kinds of uh, junk, <laughs> you know, from, from just what I felt like posting during the day or whatever. And um, so we tried to keep it a little bit more professional, but you know, sometimes I think that may not be good for engagement. So that some of that may be changing, but yeah, it's anyway. worth going to see these guys accounts just to see their beards. Uh, they're yeah, Richard. Awesome beards. Richard's big old beard. Yeah, Richard's yeah, got a I big old beard. I keep mine trimmed. Yeah, I keep mine trimmed, and Richard, Richard will grow his out. He's he's going for the Gandalf look. I think he's, he's like a mountain man. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, Justin, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I, I I think we have a lot to learn uh, just from you and and your guys' experience, and I hope that people listening learned a lot i'd love to have you back on because like i said we got through just a fraction of, of what we got through there and even some of the questions that we asked we could spend a whole podcast going on um absolutely i thank you so much and i would love to get richard on here too he's a he's a character so yep and we get we give greg probably crap more than any other one of his dealers i'm sure of it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so that's why i come back though i love um, it yeah you know we love you. <laughs> <laughs>
So, anyways, if 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 any of the listeners have any questions, um, specifically, don't hesitate to reach out to either one of us. Um, we're totally open to answering messages or DMs or whatever. So, awesome. All right, man. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I'll let you get back to work. You guys have a you have a great week. Yeah. All right. Thanks Good for work. having me. Thank yep. you. See you later. Bye bye.